Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Our text this morning is Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray together. Guide us, O God, in the reading of your Word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts 16, verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. But when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all come up and join me. Welcome, good to see you. Yeah, come on up. Hey guys. Good to see y'all, have a seat. All right, got a question for you. What do you imagine sheep think about? I think so too. I think they probably think a lot about grass and where to find it. And their search for, the, for grass can probably lead them into all sorts of situations, right? Some good ones, they find some really good grass, and maybe some not so good ones. They might eat poison Maybe, because sheep are kind of dumb sometimes. Now, a good shepherd, he cares about grass too, right? Why? Why would a shepherd care about grass? He doesn't eat it. Sheep. Yeah, he loves his sheep and he wants what's best for them. Now, does a sheep know which field has the best grass right now? No. no. Does a sheep know which field is on the edge of a cliff? No. no, probably not. Does a sheep know where the bears or the wolves are likely hiding? No. no. But a good shepherd knows all those things. And he is determined to lead the sheep to the place that's best. Now, in, in the passage that we just read, Paul had some places that he was trying to go. He wanted to spread the good news about Jesus to a few places because that was the job that Jesus had given him. But Jesus' spirit stopped him from going to certain places to certain cities. It, it doesn't tell us why exactly. Before this section, the Spirit seemed to let Paul go wherever he wanted. But now, Jesus' Spirit stops Paul from going to one place and then redirects him towards some, somewhere else. Now, what, what's going on? Well, I think it's helpful for us to remember that Jesus is still a good shepherd, the good shepherd. He loves Paul Paul is one of his sheep, 
And Jesus cares about the good work that Paul is doing. And so for reasons that we might not be able to explain, Jesus leads Paul to a different field than Paul expected. Because Jesus had a plan. And it's not that Paul's ideas were wrong or bad or anything. It, it just wasn't what Jesus thought was best. For you and me, when we love God, when we're trying to stay close to Him, and we, we're trying to do something good, then we should know that we have lots of freedom. We can try all sorts of things. We can try this good thing or that good thing because like we were singing, our good shepherd is with us. If he wants us to go somewhere and do something, then he's going to lead us there. But if he doesn't want us to go somewhere or do something, then like Paul experienced, sometimes he stops us. Sometimes he'll lead us where we want to go. And sometimes he'll tell us, no, not that way. But we don't have to get upset if Jesus tells us no. The, the best thing that we can say actually is, okay, Jesus, I trust you. Because you can trust your good shepherd. Uh, we already know that he loves us. After all, he laid down his life for us to rescue us. And now he's alive forever as our shepherd king. And, and because Jesus will continue to take care of us and lead us in the way that's best, even if we don't expect it, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks guys. You can go back to your seats. If you've not done so already, you can open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 16. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 6 through uh, 10. And it is this passage that contains the, the familiar uh, scene of, of Paul's vision of this man from Macedonia. This, this man who, who says to him in a dream, come over to Macedonia and help us. And we read in the text that it was only after Paul had seen this vision uh, that he and his companions, now including not only Silas and Timothy, but notice also Luke, we, we see that in the, the switch to we there in verse 10, it is only after this vision uh, that Paul and his companions determine uh, that God was calling them to preach the gospel there in Macedonia rather uh, than in Asia or Bithynia as they had been attempting to do. But before we consider Paul's vision, even though that is the, the centerpiece of this passage, before we, before we consider that, I want us to consider those attempts to go to Asia and Bithynia. Notice, that's, that's what Luke says. Luke says that after preaching the gospel in Phrygia and Galatia, they attempted to go to Asia. That was their, their next destination. But they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God there. Now, it's not immediately clear uh, what that means. What does it mean that they were forbidden? The, the word forbidden might suggest that they had been denied permission uh, to preach the gospel in Asia. That is, they had, they had asked the Lord uh, to give them permission to go there, and the Lord had said no. That's, after all, the way that we, we normally use the word forbid. You, you ask your boss uh, uh, for permission to take the day off or to go and uh, travel across country to see a client, and, and he 
He does so. He gives you permission or he doesn't. He forbids you uh, to do so. And Luke could mean something like that. He could mean that they asked and God had said no. But, but at least in my mind, that the context of the overall narrative suggests that, that it's more likely that this forbidding was providential. Uh, that is, it seems more likely that, that God had, had ruled and overruled in their circumstances to prevent them from being able to go to Asia. They, they knew that God wasn't letting them go because they just couldn't get there. It, it's maybe that they, they were denied permission, but it's also likely that they just uh, were uh, denied uh, access uh, through God's providential ruling. They were, uh, they were not denied permission, but providentially hindered. And of course, the Spirit could have done that in any number of ways, but, but however he did it, uh, whether it was uh, actual forbidding of permission or whether it was a forbidding of, of providence, uh, however he did it, uh, the Holy Spirit prevented them from speaking the word of God in Asia. And so what do you... And so what they did uh, when they couldn't get to Asia uh, is, is told to us in the next verse. Luke tells us that when they couldn't get to Asia, they in turn their attention to Bithynia, and they tried to go there. They didn't give up on their mission. They didn't, they didn't decide that they were no longer called to, to preach the word anywhere, but rather they, they chose a new destination. But again, the Spirit, this time referred to as the Spirit of Jesus, did not allow them to go. Again, their plans were frustrated. Now think about being in their shoes. I wonder, uh, what, what must they have been thinking, or what must they have been feeling at this point? They've tried to go to Asia, and they were prevented. They've tried to go to Bithynia, and they were per- prevented. I can, I can easily imagine them as, as frustrated and, uh, and, and confused. I, I know I would have been in their situation. I wonder, have you ever, have you ever resolved to do some good work for the benefit of, of one of your neighbors and been prevented from doing so, or if not prevented, at least run into one roadblock after another? Have you ever experienced difficulty after difficulty after, after difficulty while trying to, to do some good work for the, for the benefit of, of someone else? I suspect that you've all had that experience. I know uh, that I have. And those experiences of, of, of frustration, those experiences of, of, of roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, they tend to uh, stir up in me all sorts of frustration and resentment. I think to myself, okay, God, I'm trying to do something good here. Uh, why are you making it so hard? I'm trying to, uh, to do something that I think you want me to do. Why uh, are you putting obstacles in my way instead of removing them? Shouldn't you be making this easier instead of harder? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever thought along those lines? Have you ever felt that way? I, I know that I have. And if you are like me, and if you have thought along those lines, I, I hope that you can see that such a response to, to obstacles and frustration, such a, such a response to, to trials of all sorts, is a functional denial of what we profess to believe. It's not how we ought to respond. You see, we profess to believe that God is the sovereign Lord of the cosmos. We profess to believe not only that he is the creator, but that he is the ruler of all things. And we profess to believe that, that he is even now at work, working all things according to the counsel of his 
will. This is what the, the scriptures clearly teach us. It's what we're going to be studying in Sunday school this morning. And that is why our frustrations are directed towards God in such situations. We know that he is God. We know that he is in control. And so therefore we are frustrated with him when he seems to be placing difficulties in our way. We know that, that he could have done something about the difficulties that we are facing. We, we know that he could have removed the obstacles. We, we know that he could have opened the door and, and provided the necessary resources, but he didn't. He didn't do any of those things. He didn't do any of the things that we think he should have done, and therefore we become frustrated with him. But again, think about that. Think about the implications of being frustrated with the Lord of the cosmos because, because we don't believe merely that he is in control. We don't believe merely that he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. We profess to believe that the will that is guiding all of his actions is a good, perfect, and pleasing will. We profess to believe that the God uh, who is working all things according to the counsel of his will is the same God who has promised to work all things together for the good of those who love him. A promise that has been confirmed, even as Sam was saying to the kids, a, a promise that has been confirmed by the gift of his son. God has demonstrated his love for us beyond all reasonable doubt in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were yet his enemies, he put forth his son as the propitiation, as the, as the sacrifice that satisfies wrath. That we who were hostile in mind towards him might be brought near, might be pacified, might be reconciled, might even be given the right to be called the children of God. That is what God has done for us. And as Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, if he has not spared his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? This is what we profess to believe. We, we profess to believe that the God who is working all things according to the counsel of his will is the God who works all things for the good of those who love him. We profess to believe that his will is good, perfect, and pleasing. But don't misunderstand what that means. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't groan when we face trials of various kinds. In that very same chapter where, where Paul talks about God working all things together for, for good, he, he talks about how the people of God groan. We groan in this present evil age. We groan when we face trials of various kinds. This is right. This is reality until God comes again to bring to completion the good work that he has begun. But we grieve and we groan as people of hope. We grieve knowing that no obstacle, no hardship, no trial can thwart God's good purpose for us. Again, remember what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, in all these things, referring to uh, the obstacles and the, the trials of, of this life, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For, he continues, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's one of those, those truths that we need, to, we need to soak in. Or as Paul says it in his letter to the Colossians, we need to let this truth dwell in our hearts richly. We need to just sit with it. We need to, to sit with this reality that there is, there is no obstacle, there is no hindrance, there is no persecution, there is no trial that can separate us from God's good purpose for those who love him. Because there is no trial that can separate us from his love. No trial can thwart God's good purposes. Yes, frustrations are frustrations. Yes, trials are trials. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That means you can rest in him. It means you can entrust yourself to him. Even when he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death, you can follow without wavering. That certainly seems to be what what Paul and his companions did. It's it's what we see in this text. It's it's easy for us to imagine that they must have been frustrated the way that we likely would have been frustrated. But Luke doesn't describe them as as frustrated or angry. He doesn't even hint at such emotions. He, He simply says that when the Spirit didn't allow them to enter Asia, they turned to Bithynia. And and then again, when they weren't able to enter Bithynia, they they went to Troas. And I I think that is a beautiful picture of how Christians are to serve the God who has proven himself to be their good shepherd. And there's a couple of things I want us to to notice here. First, I want you to notice that Paul and his companions, they had an objective related to their calling, and they endeavored to accomplish it. All right, think about that for a second. They had an objective related to their calling. What does that mean? Well, what was their calling? Their calling was to preach the gospel. That was what they were called to do. That's what they had been set apart for, both both by the Spirit and by the church. And therefore, uh, they knew that that was their primary mission. But not only did they have this sort of general sense that they were called to to preach the gospel, they had an objective related to that calling. They had a plan how they were going to do it. They were going to go to Asia. And then when that didn't work out, they were going to go to Bithynia. And And they planned to go there that they might preach the gospel there. They had an objective related to their calling. And they endeavored to fulfill that objective. They, they gave themselves. To, they planned. They, they probably uh, collected resources. And, and they began to move in that direction. It's why the Spirit had to act to forbid them, to, to stop them from going, because they were endeavoring to fulfill the objective uh, that they had chosen in their attempt to fulfill uh, the, the, the realities of their calling. And I, I want to suggest to you that that is a model for all Christians. That is a model that all of us should be emulating. Not all Christians are called to preach the gospel in the same way that that Paul and his companions were. We're not all missionaries in that sense, but we are all servants of Jesus Christ. All of us have been called into the service of our King. And that means you are to be serving Christ in your home. You are to be serving Christ 
at work. You are to be serving Christ in, in this community as he gives you opportunity. Those are your callings. You are a servant of Christ in all of these places, and therefore you need specific objectives for doing so. How are you going to serve Christ in the workplace? What is that going to look like? How are you going to, to serve Christ at home? How are you going to serve Christ in your community? We need to think about specific ways in which we are going to fulfill these things. It's not enough to just have a general sense, well, yes, I'm a servant of Jesus. What is that going to look like in the details of your daily life? What is that going to look like for you? And that's part of what, what personal individual discipleship looks like. Those are the kinds of questions that Sam and I and the other elders would love to have with you, helping you to discern what does it look like for you to serve Christ in your particular place with the particular resources that he has given you. What are the opportunities uh, that he has, has given to you for doing good works to the praise of his name? But not only must you identify those objectives, you must endeavor to accomplish them. You must begin to actually work towards those ends. That's what we do as, as servants of Jesus Christ. We have a plan. We have objectives. And we seek to accomplish those objectives, all to the praise of the glory of our King. But here's what we need to understand. That when our endeavors are frustrated, when we are hindered, when obstacles arise, we must be ready to change course, just as Paul and his companions did. Because we believe that we have a good shepherd who is, who is not only interested in our good, but who is working all things together for our good. Our shepherd is the Lord of the cosmos. And therefore, we can follow him. We can trust him. Coming out of seminary, I didn't want to be a youth pastor. You've, you've heard this story before. <laughs> that was not my calling. I was pretty sure of it. That, that was not what I was supposed to do in the service of my king. It wasn't what I was supposed to do with my uh, uh, new seminary education. And yet, that is the only door that God opened. All other doors were closed. And so eventually, I walked through it. And that was good. God used that experience for my good. And you've, you've heard stories of others who have had similar experiences I've heard stories of, of, of people in other parts of the world who, uh, who were prepared to, to hear the gospel. Um, um, you know, who, uh, sorry, uh, I've heard stories of, of people in, in other parts of, of the world who, who, who intended to, to uh, advance the gospel uh, through further education. That's what they, they thought they were called to do. But then, but then those plans had to be set aside because of an aging parent or because of a sick child. Their plans were good, but they were not able to fulfill them. I know of people who intended to serve God in a, in a particular way, you doing a particular job, but again, uh, those doors were not opened, or, or those doors uh, were, were closed in their face, and now they have to serve God doing something else entirely. I know of people who felt called to be parents, but who never had children. And so they had to change course. Some of them are, are now taking care of orphans. Others have gone in entirely different directions. 
But their plans did not come to fruition, and so they, they had to hold those plans lightly. And of course, it's not always that God closes doors. Sometimes he just makes the way hard. Uh, here we see God preventing Paul from going to Asia, but in other occasions, uh, Paul's planned uh, objective uh, is, is still there to be had, but, but getting there is really hard. Getting there sometimes getting, means getting stoned. Or, or imprisoned, or, or beaten with, with rods. We, we've seen that in, the, in Paul's experience up to this point, and we will see it again and again in our study of Acts. In such situations, we do not necessarily change course, but, but we still have to trust him. We still have to entrust ourselves to him. We have to believe not only that he is sovereign, but that he is working for our good. And so when the way is hard, we press on in the strength and his strength to do the good that he has prepared for us to do. And this then is the, the first thing that I want us to see in this text. I, I want us to see that, that Paul and his companions, they had an objective plan for fulfilling their calling and they were endeavoring to accomplish it. But at the same time, they, they held those plans lightly, entrusting themselves and their plans to the Lord, ready to change direction at his prompting. And in doing so, they, they set before us an example that all of us should be ready to follow. But of course, implied in all of that, implied in all of that is that, that not only did Paul have a plan, but that God had a plan. And that's the second thing I want us to see here. Uh, clearly in this text, God has a plan, a plan that he is working to Accomplished. That's implied in the, in the way that God is working all things together for the good uh, uh, of those who love him according to the counsel of his will. Just think about that phrase, the, the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will is his plan. It's, it's that which he is working to accomplish. You see, we have to understand that, that God isn't just making things happen at random. He is executing his will. He, he's, he's not acting capriciously, but, but rather he is preventing Paul from, from going to Asia and then again to Bithynia according to his plan. He, he's preventing them from going there because he's directing them towards Macedonia where he has work for them to do. Work which we will begin to explore next Sunday as we look at the conversion of Lydia. Now again, that God has a plan is kind of obvious when you, when you stop to think about it. Of course, God is, is working according to a, a plan. But, but again, it's one of those truths that even though it's obvious, we need to, we need to soak in it. We need to let it dwell in us richly. We profess to believe that we are God's servants, that he is God and we are not. But how hard it is to take the posture of a servant. How hard it is to, to believe that we are here to serve him and do his will. How easy it is for us to believe that he should get on board with us in the direction that we are going. We need to, to soak in this idea that God has a plan. That he is working all things according to the, the counsel of his will. Because it remains true even when we can't see the big picture. It remains true even when we don't know exactly what he is doing? Why does God allow us to experience hardships and, and trials when, when we're trying to do something truly good? We understand, you know, if we, if we run into trouble when we're doing something we should not be doing. You know, we, we, we kind of get that. 
But why does God make it hard when we're doing something truly good? Why doesn't he provide the resources when we're, when we're attempting to do something truly good? Why would he prevent us from doing something that's going to be a blessing to our neighbors and to our community? Why does he close doors when we're trying to serve him? The truth is, we don't often know. But even when we don't know why he... He closes doors or, or puts obstacles in our way or withholds resources. Even when we don't know, we do know. We do know that he is working all things according to the counsel of his will for the good of those who love him. We know that his will is, is not only for his own glory, but that it is for our ultimate blessing. And so... When we remember what we profess to believe, when we let ourselves soak in it, when we, when we allow it to dwell in our hearts richly, we are able to trust him and to rest in his wisdom. Because after all, his will is our ultimate ambition. His will, not our own, is the ultimate goal that we are seeking to accomplish. We seek first his kingdom, not our own. And therefore, if the obstacles and the trials we face are, are part of God executing his will, which, when you think about it, they must be, if all things are according to the counsel of his will, then these trials cannot be exceptions. And so if the trials and the, the obstacles that we face are part of God's will, then we can receive them and we can submit to them without grumbling or complaining. We may groan because it hurts. That's okay. But we do not grumble and we do not complain. But rather with humility, we seek to submit to God's will as he rules the cosmos for his glory and our good. You see, Paul knew that Jesus had promised to build his church. And he knew that he was but an instrument in his Redeemer's hands. And therefore, when the Spirit prevented him from executing his plan, he was ready and willing to change course. As I've said on other occasions, he was ready and willing to endure hardship, but all because he knew that God had a plan and that he had a plan to keep the promise that he had made. He didn't know the details of that plan, but he knew that God was working all things according to that plan for the good of those who love him. And that made all the difference. Paul's ambition was to see the church grow and increase. And he knew that Jesus was going to grow and increase his church. And therefore, he was willing to play the part that was given him by his master. He could be content to do what he was able to do, what he was allowed to do, because he knew he was ultimately serving the Lord and not himself. And it's the same for us. We know that God is working to hallow his name. We know that God is working to build his church. We, we know that one day he will utterly destroy the works of the devil and make all things new. We know that God is doing these things, and we know that we have some small part to play 
in the good works that he is accomplishing. We are, just like Paul, instruments in his hands, however weak and pitiful we may be. He has called us into his service. And therefore, we can endure hardships. We can can change course when we must. Not because we know exactly what God is doing, but because we know that God is executing his good, perfect, and pleasing plan. doesn't mean that the path is always easy or, or pleasant. We may still groan and grieve, but if we let these truths dwell in us richly, if we let them fill us up, then we will be able to submit to his leading, regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the trials, regardless of the persecutions that may come. This then brings us to our final point, and really, it's the point that stands out most in our mind. It's, it's the point of this vision, but we, we need to understand this vision in, in the context of what's going on here. God has a plan. Paul has a plan. That plan is, they're seeking to execute that plan in, in the, the service of, of their king, all right? And they're being led by God as they, they do so. And it's in that context that Paul has this vision. God has, has already given Paul sort of two negative signs. He's, he's forbid him to preach the word in Asia, and he's prevented him from going to Bithynia. But now he gives him this positive sign, this, this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And Luke tells us that it was after Paul had this vision that, that immediately the, the group of them decided that they were going to go into Macedonia and preach the word there. They, they decided this is what God was calling them to do. And there are several things I want us to, to understand about this vision that Paul has. And the first thing I think we need to see, the first thing we need to understand is that this vision is extraordinary. Back in chapter 10, God gave Peter and Cornelius dual visions in order to initiate the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. Here, he he gives Paul a a vision of a man from Macedonia in order to direct the gospel into what we now know as Europe. But even in the lives of the apostles, such visions were rare. Such visions were rare. Extraordinary. God was not in the habit of of directing the daily affairs of his ministers through such visions. Usually his ministers were left to the exercise of of wisdom. As Sam said to the kids, up to this point, it seems like Paul's simply been able to go where he wanted to go, where he wanted to go in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So usually uh, God leaves his ministers alone and allows them to, to determine their steps by spiritual wisdom. They knew they were servants of Christ Jesus. They knew that they were called to be apostles. They knew that they had been set apart for the gospel. That's how Paul describes himself in the uh, opening verses of his letter to the Romans. They they knew those things were true, and they they sought the wisdom of the Spirit to figure out, okay, how how do I walk in that calling? How do I live a life worthy of that calling? But they did not receive daily itineraries from the Spirit. And it's, it's important for us to recognize the extraordinary nature of this vision because, because I think it can temper our expectations as we seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. We should not expect a vision every time we have a decision to make. We should not expect a vision even every time we have a big decision to make. Rather, we should lean on the spiritual wisdom of God's people in community. 
That's the, that's the normal way that God leads us through this life, through prayer and, and meditation upon his word and in community with other believers. We should define our objectives. We should identify our options. We should evaluate our, our resources, and we should make a plan how we're going to move forward to the glory of God. That's the, the ordinary way. We do all of this as, as a body. We, we, we seek to identify our objectives and make a plan to accomplish them. God may still block our chosen path as he blocked Paul's path into Asia. That's okay. When, when he does, we simply go through the process again. In community, we, we seek spiritual wisdom to consider our options, to, uh, to consider our resources, to, to evaluate our objectives, and we, we make another plan, just as Paul did, to go to Bithynia and God may again block our path as he, as he did. That's, that's okay. He's God and we are not. But we should not think that if God doesn't give us a vision, he isn't leading us. That's the first thing I, I want to say. God is always our shepherd. He always leads. He always gives wisdom. Even as he says through James, he, he gives generously without reproach. But he does not always or even usually give visions. All right, that being said, the second thing I want us to understand about this vision is that such visions are possible. God can give visions to direct our steps or, or give other extraordinary means of direction. This makes many people, especially Presbyterians, uncomfortable. We, we get nervous about anything that has even the appearance of continuing revelation. All right, so, so let me just be clear. Such visions are not a threat to the sufficiency of Scripture. The faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. God has spoken finally and fully through his Son, even as the author of Hebrews says. The canon is closed. Clear enough? All right, I've said it. You know, but none of this means that God cannot direct the steps of his people in extraordinary ways. I've heard stories about people who, who had a vision that prepared them for a missionary uh, who was going to come to them. Because of someone's dream, a missionary was received instead of put to death. I've heard stories about people who received a, a clear directive to, to talk to a particular neighbor. Even though they didn't know anything about the, the circumstances, they were, they were directed to, to talk. They were prompted to talk by the Spirit, and they did so, and it was to the blessing of their neighbor. I've heard stories about people who were prompted to, to give uh, a particular gift to a particular stranger, not really knowing what was going on, but they obeyed, and, and God used it for his glory. We do not have to deny the validity of such stories just because we're Presbyterians. We can and should consider them and put them to the test. I'm going to come back to that. But we do not have to reject them on principle. As I said, we should expect, uh, or we shouldn't expect, such clear directives all the time, or, or really even ever. They are always extraordinary. But when they come, we should receive them as gifts from the Lord, as gifts from our good shepherd. Now, we should do so with wisdom. That's the, the last thing we need to notice here, and I know I'm short on time, but just listen to this, all right? Notice what Luke says here. He says, When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And I, and I want you to notice that word, concluding. 
The word suggests a process of of reasoning, a a process of of weighing the evidence. They they processed the vision rationally. They they thought about it. Their, Their response was not unthinking obedience. It was not no questions asked. Sometimes a dream is just a dream. Sometimes a thought is just a thought. Sometimes an impression is just an impression. Such things must be considered and evaluated. And that is what the word concluding means. That's what Paul and his companions did. And they did it together. Notice the plural pronouns. Paul saw the vision, but we sought to go to Macedonia because we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In other words, the the evaluation process was done in community If you think God has given you an extraordinary directive, allow your spirit-filled brothers and sisters to help you evaluate the experience. Allow them to help you think it through. Allow them to help you to reach a wise conclusion. So these are the things that we learn from Paul's vision. These are the things we need to see. Such visions are extraordinary, but such visions are possible. And when God does direct us, when we think that God is directing us in an extraordinary way, such visions should be evaluated in the context of spirit-filled community. Seeing these three things together keeps us from, from demanding a vision every time we have a big decision to make. But it also prepares us to, to recognize those divisions and to receive them as gifts when they come. And the reality is that we will all have big decisions to make. We are all God's servants. We are not all called to preach the gospel in the same way that Paul and and Silas and Timothy and Luke were, but we are called to seek first the kingdom of God. We are called to serve him in, in some way at work and at home and in our community. Therefore, we need particular objectives, particular ways in which we will endeavor to to glorify God and and serve him. I am a husband and a father and a pastor and a neighbor. I I need particular objectives in all of these areas of my life, ways of of serving the king. But I need to understand that that sometimes my plans will be frustrated. Sometimes I will be directed to go in in a different way. Sometimes the Lord will keep me from speaking in Asia, so to speak. And when he does... I need to be prepared to submit to his guidance and to go in a new direction, even as Paul did. Because God is at work, and his will is good, perfect, and pleasing. Therefore, when I am thinking clearly, I will gladly set aside my agenda, my plans, my objectives, to do the good works that he has prepared for me to do. That's what Paul did, and the Lord led him to Macedonia. I don't know where he will lead me. I don't know where he will lead you. But I know that he will lead us. Whether by ordinary providence or extraordinary measures, he will lead us. He is our good shepherd. And whether he leads us besides quiet waters or through the valley of the shadow of death, we can entrust ourselves to him and we can follow his lead. And it's because we have such a shepherd that we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your love expressed in your leading. I thank you, Father, that you do not leave us alone, but that you are with us and that you are even ordering our steps all to the praise of your glory and our ultimate good. Father, give us the grace that we need to see you as our shepherd and to entrust ourselves to you. 
as our shepherd. Father, this is what we pray. This is what we ask for. Lead us in this direction, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.